0: Okay, where were we? Smith, and this is more than one lesson. Uh, first one in a while. I believe the last episode was in mid-November, and I, I'm I back now, but I uh, wanted to let you guys know uh, some develop not developments but um just kind of update you on on what the show is going to be and that sort of thing but also wanted to let you know what has been going on with me and actually I'm not going to be as specific uh as I could um what I will say and I'm sure many of you can you know this isn't a surprise to anybody but the last few months have been uh very dark for me um my depression was really bad. Um, and it kind of spiked, uh, mid November. Um, shortly after Jen and I got back from Asia and, uh, it caused, uh, Jen and my therapist and various other people to kind of assess like where I need to be and what I need to be doing and that sort of thing. And so, um, So they said to scale back on whatever I could scale back on. And so uh, I did not work uh, for a while and I dropped out of the uh, men's group Bible study that I was leading and then I stopped doing this. Um, Many of you know that I stayed with Battleship Pretension, but um, I didn't take as big of a role. Um, David and Scott kind of took over for me. They were doing most of it anyway, but um, my administrative role uh was reduced quite a bit and I I basically just kind of showed up to record. Um and then uh and then school started in January and this is the last week and in fact classes are done but I just need to write uh, a couple of things and then I will be done with school completely. Um so that is what is going on and at some point maybe I'll go into a bit more detail but it has been a, a rough time that I'm slowly but surely getting out of. Uh, I'm on new medication that seems to be working and I'm in therapy and Jen and I are in couples therapy and it seems to be making some improvements. You know, sometimes it's a two steps forward, one and a half steps back. Sometimes it's that and uh, it can be very difficult, but uh, we just got to keep moving forward. And I wish I could say that my during this time my faith was rock solid, and I guess it kind of was, but it also was just kind. Of, it wasn't an active thing in my life. I wasn't praying very often. I was. I was going to church, and you know, occasionally trying to apply the sermon and that kind of thing. But you know, my faith has never been a remarkably emotional thing anyway. Uh, but it was particularly unemotional the last few months uh, until. I saw today's movie, but we'll talk about that in a moment. First, I wanted to let everybody know um, about some of the things that are happening at MoreThanOneLesson.com. The podcast Two Geek Soup is slowly but surely making its way through the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they timed it out just right so that when they are done, Infinity War uh, will start. Uh, Start? It'll... Open. So uh, you can check that out. I was on their episode about uh, Iron Man 3, which was a lot of fun. So uh, you can check that out. And then Reed has been uh, working through the films of Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, so you can read his article series, A Year with Hitchcock. And then lastly, as of right now, um, Bob Connolly has a, a an article on the website, uh, that's part of his classics through the cracks series in which he talks about older films that just don't get talked about very often. And so he talks about uh, bad day at black rock, which is actually a really great movie. Uh, it stars Spencer Tracy and it's kind of a Western I'd say it mostly is, but it's a modern day thing as well. So, uh, so you can check all that out at more than Uh, for those that don't know, you can, um, it's probably buried now, but you can search for an article that I wrote a couple weeks ago for Politico about the Academy Awards. Um, Zach over at Politico was nice enough to reach out and ask if I wanted to do it, and it was—I it, was very flattered—and it has been uh, really exciting to, to be a part of that. So, anyway, um, and then I also wanted to—well, I wanted to do a couple things. First, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Faith Life TV, for their patience. Um, you know as far as, that, you know, their ad stayed on the site, but uh, I wasn't talking about it week to week. So uh, I do want to say thank you to them for their uh, patience. Um, and I wanted to let everyone know that uh, faith Life TV is a new streaming service for Christians interested in the more academic side of faith. Documentaries like Archaeology and Jesus, Aliens and Demons, and The God Who Speaks Deal with some of the more complex questions about uh, of being a believer. Uh, there are also inspiring biographical documentaries like Rich Mullins' *A Ragamuffin's Legacy*, Bonhoeffer. Uh, and glory to God alone, the life of J.S. Bach. And of course, there are more than that, but I just wanted to mention a few. Uh, so it's a great service that is always adding great new titles uh, to their catalog, and you can try it for free. Just go to morethanonelesson.com and click on the Faith Life TV ad to get your first month for free. After that, it's only $4.99 a month. So uh, yeah, it was, it's, they're, they're pretty great over there at Faith Life, and I like a lot of what they're doing um, as opposed to what, certain other christian streaming services do so uh good for them over at Life, and be sure to express your own gratitude towards them by uh for sponsoring this show and uh head on over to get your first month for free okay so uh this week we are talking well okay first off i guess i'll say this um i can't guarantee that this show is going to be weekly um, I think what I'm shooting for is at least 2 episodes a month and we'll see what we can do. If we can do more, we will, but you know, between what I'm dealing with our friend Robert Hornack, he and his wife just had a, just had a baby and so they're dealing with that and uh, so we've all got we've all got life stuff going on and as great as this podcast is, it's just not, it's not, uh, not a priority for everybody, but it was, I wasn't necessarily during the last few months, I wasn't necessarily looking for like, okay, when can I start more than one lesson? I tried to sit back and try to relax and deal with some of the things that I needed to deal with and haven't been for a long time. And, um, but I also just kind of felt like when God wants me to start the show back up, uh, he'll let me know. And indeed he did. And so I, (laughs) I really felt strongly that I needed to bring the show back to talk about Ava DuVernay's a wrinkle in time, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but that's the thing is I'm not in this alone and there are people that are invested in my, well being and in my mental health. And so I, I went to Jen and I explained what was going on and she said, yeah, this sounds like, sounds like, uh, it's, it's from God. And so here we go. Um, first episode in about four months. Um, we are going to be talking about a. DeVernay, Ava DuVernay's A Wrinkle in Time, written by Jennifer Lee and Jeff Stockwell, based on the novel by Madeleine Lengel. I don't know how you say that. Um, and I should start by saying that I'm a, I am was aware of the novel when I was a kid, but I never read it. I know a lot of people grew up with it and absolutely adored it. Uh, I am not one of them. I had simply heard of it. And I seem to recall that it was made into like a TV movie a few years ago, or maybe a straight to video. I'm not sure. But, uh, but yeah, when this was announced, um, I remember thinking like, yeah, all right, fine. It just felt to me like, not, not in a cynical way, but it's like, all right, well, here's a book that hasn't been given like the, the big screen, uh, big screen, um, you know, high budget treatment. And so now it will. And I saw that Ava DuVernay, uh, was directing it and she had made Selma and I know that she had turned down Black Panther, which financially maybe uh, wasn't the best call for her. It is tearing up the, uh, the box office. And in fact, it is swallowing up a wrinkle in time, which is uh, not done very well. Um, and I'll actually talk a little bit about that as well. There are a lot of people that are actually quite happy that a wrinkle in time isn't doing well, which actually bothers me quite a bit. Um, but for those that don't know, um a very short summary, um or not even summary, but just kind of a lead up, uh a wrinkle in time uh after the disappearance of her scientist father, three particular beings send Meg, her brother, and her friend to space in order to find him. So that is the a bare bones um setup uh that I got from IMDB. And so yeah, it's it's about this girl who is uh 15 and her father disappeared several years before and nobody knows where he went. People thought maybe he died or that he just left the family, whatever it was. But, uh, her father was this very eccentric scientist who had theories about how we could will ourselves to go all over the galaxy just with the power of our mind. And he was kind of a laughingstock. And, uh, so, so Meg, this, uh, this young woman and her brother, whose name is delightfully Charles Wallace and everybody calls him Charles Wallace. They don't say Charles. They don't say Charlie. They don't say CW. They say Charles Wallace. (laughs) You know, if I'm one of the actors, I'm like, man, like there are scenes where I'm going to have to like yell this guy's name and I have to say a bunch of syllables. This is ridiculous. So, um, (laughs) so yeah, it's, but I, I, I'll, talk about that character in a moment but uh so this uh girl is in the years since her father's disappearance she has turned inward and become something of a uh, recluse and she's not great in school um and she seems to you kind of get at the slightest hint that she seems to blame herself for her father's disappearance or whatever um and then one day her brother, who seems particularly eccentric, which is, you know, odd for a little kid. I don't know if anybody would ever describe a kid as eccentric, but uh, he's, he definitely seems brilliant and eccentric. And he says, hey, Meg, come and look at this. And he introduces her to this uh, woman named Mrs. What's It, um, uh, played by Reese Witherspoon. And Mrs. What's It is a, I'm not sure, something like a a fairy or a, some kind of spiritual being or a ghost. You're not exactly sure, but, uh, but she definitely is not, uh, of this earth. She's not a conventional human. Um, conventional human sounds like actually like a really good book title. So I'll have to keep that in mind. Um, and so, uh, and then it turns out she is one of three of these, uh, strange beings. One of the, so she's Mrs. What's it? And then there's Mrs. Who played by Mindy Kaling and Mrs. Witch, uh, W. H I C H not uh, wicked witch, uh, played by Oprah Winfrey. Um, and Oprah Winfrey does a perfectly fine job. And I know that she was apparently amazing in the, in the color purple. I saw beloved recently and she's really great in that. Uh, she's a, a very good actress, but there's just something about when Oprah, you know, there are very few people that you can say their first name and everybody knows exactly who you mean. Um, And it feels like whenever she wants to act, it just, it inherently feels like a vanity project to me, even though she's a good actress. And I think it's partially just because she, she can't disappear into a role. Like it's not possible for her to do that. People are only ever going to see Oprah and maybe that's the idea. I'm not sure. And then I didn't see the Butler from a few years ago and apparently she's quite good in that. Um, but anyway, so these three beings show up and they talk to Meg and Charles Wallace, and then there's this boy that she knows from school named Calvin, played by Levi Miller, who played Peter Pan in the movie Pan a few years ago, and was in a delightful Christmas horror movie called Better Watch Out uh, a couple years ago. And so she's uh, so the three beings, say, the three misses, uh, say that hey. We're going to send you to find your father. And so they go on this strange cosmic spiritual quest. And one of the things that they encounter is this thing that they call that is called the it. Um, and the it is responsible for, I guess, all the negativity in the world, or at least it, it exacerbates it. You know, um, if you feel envy or self doubt or anger or whatever, um, the, it will, 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 you know, be in, will, you know, come into you and, and, and heighten that a little bit. And so, uh, and there's a really nice sequence where they describe that. And you actually see various characters that you've already been introduced to that. You see a little bit negatively. And then you see that the, it is, it's not possessing them, you know, and it's not creating these instincts in them. They have them already, but it just like forces them to, Emphasize these feelings, um, and so eventually, the okay. So I guess spoilers. I don't know. Um, eventually, the it essentially it really does actually take possession of Charles Wallace, and then uses this boy to speak for it. And what this little kid says is such hateful, poisonous. Stuff that he's saying to his own sister, and he's saying it to Calvin. Um, and he's saying these things that are just so they sound true, they sound like the harsh truth, the truth that you can't admit to yourself. And but there's no positivity in there, there's no room for grace or love or forgiveness or redemption. It's just pure condemnation, but using things that are probably true. Um, but putting a spin on them uh, to make it seem like they are the only things that are true and reducing, he's reducing his sister and Calvin to these th- these negative motivations or negative actions or these pathetic qualities, whatever you want to call it. It's a very powerful scene. And the actor, um, Derek McCabe, uh, who plays Charles Wallace, he does a great job. Um, before this, he's meant to be frankly pretty adorable and precocious and he's able to turn that that precociousness into a sort of um, malicious glee so it's still that same energy and there's still that smile and just the taking joy in things but now what he's taking joy in is hurting uh, other people and it's it's very it's very disturbing and you know hats, hats off to the actor for being able to make that switch and make it believable and make so that, you know, you know, a hundred percent, this is not Charles Wallace. This is somebody else speaking through Charles Wallace. And so it's really, it's really powerful in that regard. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to talk about the final confrontation, um, between Meg and the it in a moment, but first I want to talk a little bit about the, the film and the filmmaking. Um, so I talked about the acting. So I guess I'll, I'll lead off with that. So uh, Storm Reed, who plays Meg, I, I'm she's young. I'm unfamiliar with her. I don't know if she's been in anything else, but she there's really something special about her performance. Self doubt and self hatred; those are not easy things to play without overplaying them. Um, and then you can overplay the glum quality. Um, or be too prickly, or whatever it is, um, it really just requires an intense focus on the self, and a negative one at that. It's not a, hey, look how great I am, it's how, how terrible I am. And you see her try to pull into herself regularly. She still engages with people, she still feels love for her brother and her mom, but there's a real, um, a really concrete quality to her desire to get away from people because she feels like she is responsible for bad things in regards to her father, in regards to her family. Uh, she's very, she thinks that she is just ugly and dumb and all of these things. She has internalized some of these negative thoughts into everything about her. And it's a difficult thing to play again without heightening it too much, but she seems very much like a person that you would meet who is dealing with their own issues. And I'm sure we can probably figure out how I arrived at this movie um, and why this is the one that brought me out of uh, semi-retirement. And so I think she, she does a really, a really great job. And then um, Levi Miller who plays Calvin there's not that much to the character. He is a supporting character and he's essentially defined by his helpfulness and his desire to help. Uh, but we see that there's a little bit of torture there as well. Um, In that his father is very cruel to him and is constantly pushing him to be the absolute best. Uh, We see a little scene where his father is yelling at him for getting an 82% on a test or something like that. And so Calvin is just constantly trying to be there for people, be helpful, perhaps have people rely on him so that he can show how worthy he is of their love, of their affection, which he clearly is not getting from his father. Uh, So there's a lot to that character, and I think he plays it really well. Uh, But one of the neat things, I guess one of the challenging, challenging things about the character is that he can't let the mask slip. He has to just seem cheery and encouraging and all of that, without even really suggesting uh, a deep sadness and loneliness underneath. Because if he were to suggest that, then then the character might not seem quite so helpful or quite so cheery. And the nature of uh, Calvin is that he's a perfectionist and he has to keep that mask on all the time. And only when it is revealed to the other characters the life that he lives... Um, only then do you let the ma- does he let the mask slip and we get to see a little bit more of him and we see what a sad kid he actually is. Um, it's a, it's a really good performance. I admittedly <laughs> Levi Miller is going to have to work really hard to beat his performance in better watch out, which is a marvelous film. Um, and then of course there's the three, uh, the three misses. Oprah does a fine job, but it's just Oprah. I don't mean to say like, Oh, she plays herself. That means she's not acting. That's not the issue. It's that she's just, not really bringing much to the character as opposed to Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling. Mindy Kaling, uh, Mrs. Who, her character has, uh, evolved beyond typical speech or, uh, beyond spoken language. And so she only ever speaks in term in quotes from plays, from, uh, sermons, from speeches, from whatever. And, and it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a neat little element to her, um, especially because Mindy Kaling has to sell that there is emotion behind these quotes. She's not just cleverly quoting them. This is her trying to express what she actually feels. And so she does assign emotion to each of these quotes. Uh, and then Reese Witherspoon as uh, Mrs. What's It, she is probably the most dynamic of the three uh, emotionally. Uh, she is often impatient or at the very least incredulous with the kids and not really knowing why don't you understand these things, but she also does seem to have genuine affection for them. And it is out of her that, uh, that some of the most interesting thematic lines come along. Um, and then other elements of the film, uh, I think it's very beautiful, its use of cgi is not necessarily distracting i think it serves the story and when they go to these foreign places these other planets that look beautiful and at times creepy i think she imagines that very well and visualizes it very well and i would have liked to see more of it to be honest it feels like the movie could actually be a little bit longer as these characters are exploring these worlds as it is it's very much it's a very story driven film with a lot of forward momentum. And maybe the, maybe the book is like that as well. I feel like it probably would have to be, but I feel like when you have these amazing visuals, uh, you should not should, but you could exploit them and be like, okay, here we go. We can really show the audience and our characters, these other worlds that they've never seen before and that they're never going to see again. But as far as what is there, I think Ava DuVernay does uh, a really solid job of making it clear that this is not our world. Uh, as far as I don't recall the music being anything particularly special, and the film is not very well reviewed. Um, I have, I've not looked at any of the negative comments. Uh, I probably should have before I did this episode, but honestly, the film had such a positive impact on me that I, you know, I don't want anyone to spoil that. And I don't think they would because I don't think it's a perfect film. I I definitely think at times the story is a little bit clunky and there are certain things that I would have liked explained. Maybe not super overtly, but for example the three misses i don't know what they are i don't know where they come from i don't know how they how they know who these kids are they seem like uh, spiritual beings but not um, they seem like godlike beings, but I don't think they are. So I would have liked a little bit more of that. They simply, they sort of just show up and then we get, we get going, which I'll say this, I kind of like that. But at the same time, I think I would have liked a little bit more explanation about these worlds and the explanations that we do get are, are so quick that before we even really have time to process them, we're off to the next thing. And there are times when that really creates a sense of immediacy, but then there are other times when it creates a sense of impatience. Like the film, uh, like, I'm sorry guys. We, I look, I'm, I want you to understand this, but I don't have time to actually do it right. Um, but, uh, And that's the thing is maybe, maybe the film just needed to be longer and maybe they didn't want the film to be longer. And honestly, when I saw that the film was less than two hours, I was excited because so many movies, even movies for, for kids, if it is based on a book, uh, it's easily going to be over two hours. Um, where David and I are going to be recording some commentaries about the Harry Potter movies, uh, in the next few weeks. And, those it's insane. Like as we were planning them out, one of the, the second film is two hours and 40 minutes. That that's nuts. Uh, and so I'm not saying that a wrinkle in time necessarily needs to be that, but, um, I do think that they could probably have taken a little bit more time to a explore these worlds and b explain these worlds. Um, but I guess if it's between clunky exposition and not, I think I probably would prefer not, but, um, But, yeah, and so... So, yeah, the film certainly isn't perfect, but I would most definitely not give it a negative review, but a lot of that is probably because the way it struck me. Um, There comes... There comes a, a moment when, as I said, Meg is confronted by the it as personified by her brother. And... And now the it is laying it on really thick and actually conjures up this image of everything that Meg may, might have wanted to be. Uh, and she like looks, so you see, uh, storm Reed in a, in a more glamorous clothing. Her hair is more done. She has makeup and jewelry and she just, you know, she looks rather stunning and, and it makes the, the actual Meg look a little, um, A a little frumpy and I I hate to say that I don't mean to speak ill of the the actress that's not the case like I think the character is meant to look frumpy or uh, unconventional or uh, eccentric and so so he's presenting her with you are a deeply flawed person and those flaws are getting in the way of your relationships wouldn't you much rather be her. And actually, I can, I can make that happen. Um, at which point, we are reminded of a, a scene earlier in the film when the three misses cannot accompany the kids into the it. And so they, in true Lord of the Rings fashion, they give them different gifts. Uh, you know, And so Mrs. What's It goes up to Meg and says, I give you the gift of your faults. And Meg's like, that, that seems like a bad thing. And in this moment when Charles Wallace is just laying it on thick and Meg is just losing more and more confidence, she finally remembers this comment. I give you the gift of your faults. And so she stands up and she says, you're right. I am this and this and this and she just lists all these negative elements to her personality but she says i'm all of these and yet you and she's speaking to charles wallace she's making sure not to talk to the it she's talking to her brother and yet you still love me and you've done this and this for me and i am all of these things i have these faults but i de- i still deserve to be loved And these comments ultimately cause the it to lose power and all that sort of thing. So, and after it's all over, she is talking with they're they've, they're reunited with the missus and, and she's talking to Mrs. What's it? And she said, you know, I embraced my fault. So I don't think she said embrace, but you know, she references her faults and Mrs. What's it says something that, caused a tear to my eye, uh, caused a, a tear to come to my eye. Um, she says, such beautiful faults. And I was talking with uh, a friend of the show, Jason Eakin last night, and I was telling him about this. And there are people, I do know some of the negative comments that have been said about the film, specifically amongst Christians, which I'll deal with in a moment. Um, he said that, if the film were a bit more hippy dippy then mrs it would have said like those faults actually are strengths um but she doesn't she says she one of the things meg talks about is her inability to trust other people that is a fault that is not a good thing it's but it's part of the thing that makes her her and it's a and it's a negative thing but it's also a part of who she is. It's, 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 it seems contradictory and it definitely there's a, a tension there, but she says such beautiful faults, like nobody's perfect. And this is the way that you're imperfect and you're still beautiful. And it really, really impacted me. Um, you know, the last few months I've been acutely aware of my faults and trying desperately to get away from them. And don't get me wrong, I think that somebody should always be working on their faults, but realizing that your inability to master your faults uh, doesn't mean that you are irredeemable or that you don't deserve love or that you're not beautiful. And so in that moment, I really felt God for the first time in a long time. And I felt like he was just saying like, yeah, you are, you're far from perfect. So is everybody else. But you know, you, you are right. Some of the things that you don't like about yourself are things that shouldn't be liked, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be liked. It doesn't mean you're not loved. Um, and so there are a number of, there are a number of things, um, a number of Bible verses that came to mind and a number of song lyrics actually. Um, but this idea of not being defined by our faults, but still having faults, uh, that has there definitely is a biblical precedent for that. Um, but before I get to that, I'm going to talk about very briefly talk about the companion film, which could not be further from a wrinkle in time. It is not a fantasy, it's cold hard reality, it is not a kid's movie, it is very much for adults and even then adults with like a, a, a thick skin. Uh, it is Mike Figgis's 1995 film, Leaving Las Vegas, uh, starring Le- Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue. There are other characters, but honestly, it's really just these two people. And it's the film that Nicolas Cage won Best Actor for and i know that a lot of people consider nicolas cage to be something of a joke these days but there was a time when he was delivering oscar worthy uh performances and so uh and it's seriously it, you, if you are interested in this film i think it's a marvelous film but it, he is a guy who has come to Las Vegas. He's a, an unsuccessful writer who's come to Las Vegas to literally drink himself to death. That is his goal. And while he's there, he meets a prostitute played by Elizabeth Shue, and the two fall in love and, and accept one another and all of that. Uh, but they speak very frankly about a number of things. And so uh, a lot of them sexual. And so, um, if that kind of thing really gets to you, then it's not the film for you. But if you are interested in wonderful performances and solid writing and just a really well-made film that I feel like you don't see much of this type of movie anymore. There's, I guess it's very nineties in a lot of ways. Like there are certain directorial flourishes um, that play up the style of the film. But, uh, But yeah, in it, he plays this character who just, He's drinking himself to death because he just hates himself so much. There's a line in which he says, he says, I'll tell you right now, I'm, he's saying this to the prostitute. He's saying, I'll tell you right now, I'm in love with you, but be that as it may, I'm not here to force my twisted little soul into your life. And now this film is interesting because the two characters, they do recognize their faults And at times they seem to enable each other in their faults. And it's, it's kind of, it's hard to know exactly if their relationship is a good thing for either of them. Uh, I think an argument could be made that it isn't because he tells her early on like you can never ask me to stop drinking and she says she's not going to now here's the thing as the film goes on she does ask him to and he gets very angry at that um and so i think there is an element of the deeper they they fall in love with each other the more they want good things for one another but the reason that i included it here is that He falls in love with her though. He knows she is a prostitute who's had sex with a lot of men for money She knows that he is a drunk who does not have long to live by his own design and yet they still Extend love to one another They don't wait for the other person to to be perfect the love is is extended nonetheless and and that's the thing is maybe people might call that an enabling love And I think an argument could be made to bring this back to the, the the Christian element of this podcast, you know, God's love is unconditional. And then there are people who say like, well, if God loves us and forgives us for anything, then why would we ever want to change? Uh, Is that not an enabling type of love and an enabling type of forgiveness? Uh, And an argument could be, yes, it is. But that's the thing is in both cases uh, in this film the f- The more they love each other, the more they want good. They want genuine good things for each other and for themselves. They want to be better. Uh, there's a reason that that line and as good as it gets, you know, you make me want to be a better man. That's a real thing. Like love can be transformative in that way. And if God loves us unconditionally, despite faults that we might not even know we have. Um, that can be a transformational love. He makes us want to be better people. Um, so <clears throat> I want to get into some of these, uh, some of these verses, uh, the first, and, and you're probably familiar with, uh, with a number of these. Uh, the first is from first Corinthians one verses 26 through 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. There's a, a, it really sets up the like, you are not, uh, I, I'm always reluctant to talk about this element of Christianity because it's well documented. The idea is like, you are crap. You're not great. You know, it's. And I don't mean to to make you feel bad. It's more this is meant to bring comfort to people that already feel bad. People that are poor in spirit, one could say. And feel as though they are irredeemable, that they are weak, that they are dumb. Whatever, you, whatever it is, whatever the, th- the thing is that you are or that you think defines you, this negative trait that makes you feel like you are unlovable or irredeemable, whatever it is, the thing that keeps you at arm's length from other people, um, that is, it doesn't keep you at arm's length from God. He still brings you in and embraces you. Um, and then from second Corinthians 12 verses seven through 10, this is, uh, Paul speaking in order to keep me from becoming con- uh, conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And here I think we have beautiful faults. I remember, I don't, I don't, I don't remember where I heard, I don't remember who said it. It might have been a classical author, author like C.S. Lewis. It might have been something I heard in a sermon once. But somebody said that they imagined heaven was just people walking around, finally being honest about the things they've done and whether it be committing adultery or, you know, skimming money off the top at work or killing somebody or even worse people in heaven that have, that have embraced God's forgiveness and they're up there and they are saying, they're not bragging about what they've done, but they've said like, I murdered someone and God still loved me and he still let me be here. Isn't that insane? Like, it's, it, 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 it's weird. It redeems those actions. Um, and I know there are some people who say like, "No, I don't want those actions to be redeemed. I don't like the idea of that type of love. There are things that I think are unforgivable. And I can totally understand that. But one of the great things about the gospel is that often, maybe not often, for a good number of people, they have done things that they see as unforgivable. And this says, they're not unforgivable, you, you are weak, there are things that you struggle with and you might always struggle with, but, but God's grace is sufficient for you his love will cover that weakness. It will cover that struggle. Um, and so, Here's Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good, good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, I do, I do like this. Like, Yeah, for a good, a good person, maybe someone would die. I don't know. But that's for a good person. And we all have deep faults. We've all made very bad mistakes. We've all hurt people. And while we are still in that, a phrase that has come about in therapy the last few months is state of failure. It is something that I talk about in regards to myself, that if Jen and I have an argument, then until the moment that she forgives me if if i'm if i've said something terrible until the moment she forgives me then i am in a state of failure it might not she might not forgive me till tomorrow we might not talk until tomorrow and then she says like it's fine i love you and everything's fine and then it's like okay i'm no longer in a state of failure but until that happens i am just in this place and when i'm in this place I feel like it's, it's all I think about and I feel like I can do no good and whatever good I might do is nullified by the fact that I have made my wife feel so bad. And you know, and this says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we are still in this state of failure, his love is still there for us and that we are not irredeemable in that moment, regardless of how much we might feel that. Um, And so there are a couple of songs that I will not be singing, but I will be quoting. One is from the 1800s by Charlotte Elliott called Just As I Am. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And then this is a song that I ran across and it just spoke to me so much. It is uh, by a band called All Sons and Daughters, and it's called Brokenness Aside. I might have quoted it before. I'm not sure. Uh, and it says, will your grace run out if I let you down? Because all I know is how to run. I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Tied up in words, tangled in lies. But you are a savior, savior and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. And that is a song that has brought me tremendous comfort. Um, I I even like the the phrase "if it's not one thing, it's another." It just it's it's such a common phrase, and it just speaks to like <laughs> it just makes our our sin feel like a, a hassle, um, which it is, and that's 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 what we are. We are often a hassle to one another, um, and our brokenness, our weakness our faults are taken aside and made beautiful by God. And if we let, if we let him do that and that is where I am right now, I am, I still have quite a ways to go and it has been very painful the last few months. And I'm keenly aware of my own, brokenness, and my faults, but God looks at those and he says, they're such beautiful faults, and I love you so much, and my grace is sufficient for you. Now you can come to me. And that is what that is what a wrinkle in time made me think about, and it's you know I don't want to talk much about this, but there are a lot of Christian writers. Apparently, the book had a lot more overt Christian imagery, um, and because I, I I believe the author was was Christian, and a lot of that was removed for the film, and there are a lot of Christian writers who condemned that there's one writer who said whose headline was literally like why does Hollywood keep raping Christian culture or Christian media or whatever it is the idea being like taking it for what they want you know what they can get out of it and then leaving all the rest so I understand the use of that word I think it's maybe a bit clickbaity if not a little bit uh, distasteful And it's one of the things that always has bothered me about the way Christians approach film and approach art is we feel like unless it is, unless it is directly impacted by God, by which I mean like unless a a Christian person overtly incorporates the gospel into it, then I guess it works against uh, the kingdom of God but God will not be limited by such things, and maybe uh, Ava DuVernay and the and the the writers maybe they decided that they that they actively did not want that stuff in there, and they thought it would alienate people, and they took it out. Well, you know what? Like, it was still there for me a lot, and that speaks to. So even if they were actively working against God, which I doubt they were. But even if they were, God is bigger than that. And so for a lot of these Christian writers to act as though... Now, if you want to be frustrated with Hollywood, that's fine. But the film still is, I think, tremendously beautiful and hopeful. And it teaches you it teaches you to love yourself, but not necessarily... But also to speak the truth about yourself. That you do have faults. And you might always have them but that you are deserving of love and that you are loved. And in that love you are beautiful to others and you are beautiful to God. And so, so don't listen to those other writers who are just looking to pick a fight or maybe they think the fight has already been picked and they need to strike a blow uh, against, the world or whatever it is, but I think an argument could be made that we're supposed to turn the other cheek, not play the martyr. And I I do that as much as anybody else. It's something that bothers me and I need to work on that. Um, But thankfully God is bigger than the filmmakers. God is bigger than the viewer. God is bigger than the critics and he can use any work of art to speak his truth, to bring comfort to people, to challenge people. And with a wrinkle in time, he did that for me to such a degree that I, for the first time in months, was very deeply aware of his love for me, even though I am very weak, though I often feel that I am in a state of failure, he is still there for me and I'm excited to be doing this again. So thank you everybody for your patience over the last few months. Thank you for your words of encouragement. And I don't know if the next episode will be next week or the week after it might wind up being just a best of pictures episode. I'm not really sure. Um, I still need to confer with the other co-hosts and and plan things out for the next couple of months. But uh, as it is, here's this episode. Uh, if you have any uh, requests, if you, if there are any movies from the last few months or, uh, 2017 in general that you think, uh, I should do an episode about just uh, shoot me an email, Tyler, more than You can always follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can like us on Facebook and, uh, be sure to go to more than and check out the various things that are happening there and do check out faith life TV as well. So, uh, thank you everybody for listening and I'll get you next time.